Well, folks, we are going to continue this morning with what I started last week as uh, we move forward to what God, I believe, is is calling us to is this vision next week. Uh, I can't believe that it's already almost February, but the day that we have long awaited for is almost here. And so this kind of sets us up for where we're at next week. So let's pray and we'll jump into it. Father, we love you. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to come and to hear your word because your word is life. It is power to us, Lord God, and it is life-changing. So I pray over this word, Father, that it would go forth with an anointing on it, Father, that it might get into each of our hearts, Lord, as we are hearers, Father, and doers of this word. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28, and that's where we're going to launch from. The title of this message this morning, this is part two of There Is a Difference. How many of you all know there's a lot of differences out there in the world? I mean, last week I kind of drew out the difference between country folks and city folks. There is a difference, amen? There's differences in all of us as we are individual human beings. We've got different likes and different tastes and got different dislikes. But in the church world this morning, I want to kind of point out that there is a difference between a disciple and a believer, a disciple and a believer. There is a difference between them. So this is kind of where we're going to start from this morning. This is Matthew 28. Let's begin reading in verse number 18. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So kind of set this up for you, and you're going to hear more about this next week. But one of the things that we believe that God is moving us to is this, that we have to be a church that makes disciples. We have to make disciples because I believe that if you read this correctly, Jesus is saying that we have to be a church that makes disciples. He said, go and make disciples. And so here we are. We're across the sea from where this was originally spoken from. But here in America, here in Macon County, here in Rabin County, here in, in the good old uh, Trinity Church, we're going to make disciples. Now this morning, I want to make sure we understand this. There is a difference between a disciple and a believer. Sometimes whenever people say, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Folks, I got to tell you, the devil believes in Jesus. Amen. In fact, the Bible tells us that the demons believe and they shudder whenever they hear the name of Jesus. But there's a lot of people say, I believe in Jesus that are no more a Christian than I am a hamburger. Amen. A believer is someone that believes that Jesus is who he says he is. That he has done what he says he has done. John said, those who believe or those who take hold of him and bring them to themselves, they believe in his name. They're the ones that have the right to become the children of God. You see, if that believer goes on to believe that God raised him from the dead, that God conquered sin with the life and death of Jesus Christ, if they confess him as that Lord, those people will be saved. Because the Bible, that's where it all starts with. There was a time in my life where I believed that Jesus could save me. Amen? I believed that he was risen from the dead. I believed all that, but I confessed it with my mouth. I believed it in my heart, and that was the time that I got saved. That is a believer. 
Folks, our churches have a lot of believers in them. There's believers all over this morning gathering all over our community in churches today. And their church pews have got lots of believers in them. And I'm thankful for that. But this is where the difference is seen between a believer and a disciple. Now remember this. Believers are on their way to heaven. Y'all with me? They're on their way to heaven. Not everyone that believes is going to heaven. But believers that have confessed Jesus Christ... They've had that John chapter 3 experience. They've been born again. They're on their way to heaven. But there's something called a disciple. And they're different than a believer. A disciple is someone who wholly commits to Jesus Christ as Lord. In other words, you're my boss. I'm going to do what you tell me to. Not just believes that he's Lord because there's a difference. We can all believe He's Lord, but boy, whenever we start con- committing to Him being our Lord, it's a whole different thing. So last week, in part number one of this message, we learned three things. First of all, the difference between a believer and a disciple. A disciple is passionately committed to Jesus Christ. Disciples will be passionate about the things of God. So just a little bit of review A disciple is passionately committed to Jesus Christ. Number two, they have an extraordinary love for people. A disciple has a love for people. They love the least. They love the lost. They love across cultures. They love their enemies. I'm going to tell you something. Whenever you find somebody that just loves people, regardless of who they are, where they've come from, no matter how bad they might smell, no matter how filthy they might talk, no matter how many bad habits they might have, whenever you have somebody that loves people, regardless of where they're coming from, you're going to find somebody that you can declare that's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Number three, they're going to have a heart of a servant. Disciples serve. We got churches today, and this is the uh, kind of the rule that they use. They have an 80-20 rule. That means 80% of the funds that are given in offering plates all over America today are given by 20% of the people that are actually attending church. Listen to that. 80% is given by 20% of the people. In the same way, 80% of the work that is done in the churches today is done by 20% of the people attending that church. Does that make sense? We're a little bit different. I'm thankful for that. Our percentages are a little bit high, higher than that. But folks, disciples, they serve. They serve. They find a place to serve, and then they serve. Tommy Barnett, pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, of a great church there, First Assembly of God in Phoenix. One of the things that Tommy Barnett preaches, and he says, guys, you come into this church, this is what I want you to do. I want you to find a ministry, then I want you to get involved serving in that ministry. If you've got something in your heart that we don't have that you want to be a ministry, you start that ministry. And because of that, Tommy Barnett's church literally has hundreds of ministries every week that functions because there are people that come in and say, listen, I don't see a ministry for unwed young ladies and I'm going to start one. And they sure enough do. They find a place to serve. So servants, they're going to be serving their families. They're going to be first serving their communities and they're going to be serving in their churches. So disciples serve. So now as we get to this week, so I've got a couple of points for this week as well. Number one, starting this week, 
A disciple is someone who is going to be sensitive and submitted to the Holy Spirit. Jesus made a declarative statement to his disciples that I'm sure was probably perhaps a little bit depressing. He said, I'm going to leave you. I mean, I'm going to just tell you something, folks. If I was running with Jesus, he's here on this earth, and he comes up to me one day and he says, I'm moving. That'd be depressing. Over the years as a pastor, I've had people that have come and gone in the church, and, and whenever those really, really sweet people that you love and, and you know, they, they serve and they love the church, whenever they come and they say, man, we're moving to Alaska, you go, oh, man, we're losing some great people. But just think, Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm checking out. But he said, it's better for you if I go. I'm going. How in the world could it ever be better for me if Jesus goes? And then he told his disciples, he said, hey, I'm sending back to you. I'm going to send someone back to you that is going to be your comforter. He's going to be your guide. He's going to be your teacher. It's the Holy Spirit. Amen. Folks, I got to tell you something. Jesus at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit's down here rolling up his sleeves and he's sweating right now because he's working with my life. Trying to get me on track. Amen. So. A disciple is someone who is going to be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, but they're also going to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Okay, guys, let me just talk to you for just a moment. So, ladies, don't completely check out because I think you'll like what I'm fixing to say. See, guys, we should be submitted to our wives. Whenever they tell us to do something, we should do it. And I know that, you know, you're looking at me like, oh, what? Listen, man, this is what I've learned. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. You guys, yeah. And so, you know, what I've learned is I just, whenever Renee gives me an order, I usually salute her and I just say, yes, ma'am. I don't salute all the time, but most of the time, usually if I'm sitting down, I usually jump up, click my heels together and go, yes, ma'am. Because if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. My kids have heard that a lot of times in their lives. Folks, the Holy Spirit is someone who gives us guidance. And if we don't submit to his guidance, listen, man, I've, I've been stupid a whole lot of times. Whenever the Holy Spirit is telling me, no, 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 no. I can remember years ago, I wanted a new car. I had a perfectly good car, but I wanted a new car. So I went to the dealership and I picked out this really cute little old car. Man, it was going to be awesome. And the whole time I'm looking at it, the whole time I'm signing the paperwork, I'm telling you the Holy Spirit is sitting there going, no, 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 don't do it. Your car's paid for. It's a good car. It's, it's, it's anointed car. And I said, but I want that red one. And I bought that thing. And that thing turned out to be a lemon. It was the worst car I ever owned in my life. It was broke down over half the time I had it. Goodness. Ended up wrecking it and totaling it. And whenever the wrecker came and picked it up, I thought, praise God, that thing's finally gone. Folks, as as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ... We not only are sensitive to his workings in our life, but we are submitted to it. The most important message to an unbeliever is Jesus. Y'all realize that? Most important message to an unbeliever is Jesus. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants to give you a whole new life. 
the most important message to a believer is the Holy Spirit. Folks, I want to tell you, we would be in a quandary if the Holy Spirit was not here on this earth. Because there's been so many times in my life I have needed His direction. I have needed His wisdom. I have needed His comfort. I have needed His help. Amen. I'm going to tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit will change your life forever. I do not know Christianity without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because the night I was born again, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful of that. So I don't know Christianity before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I will tell you, I've had the opportunity to speak and, and, and visit with so many different people that have said, man, I was this before I, I, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But whenever I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it changed my life. It changed my life forever. So I'm just telling you, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to be submitted to Him, sensitive to Him. And, and I will tell you this. As believers, we ought to set our minds to get everything that God wants to give us. In other words, on Christmas morning, how many of you all leave unopened packages under the tree for next year? No, I'm not going to open that today. I know it's mine, but I'm leaving it there. Does anybody do that? Well, of course not. That's insanity. I want it. I want it now, especially if it's cheese, because it wouldn't last till next year. Are you all there with me? I want it now. This year for Christmas, I got, I got new dish towels and dish rags. Man, that was awesome. Don't look at me like that. Our old ones were just war slap out. They're in a rag box out in my shop now. And I looked at them the other day. I thought, man, we were still using them nasty things. It was the kids that did it. I'm not going to leave any gift under the tree unopened on Christmas. And I believe that's what we ought to do with the Holy Spirit. Because, see, God says this is a gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. I pray that none of you leave that gift unopened. Because as disciples, we want to be sensitive. We want to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Number two, and this one here is, is pretty challenging. So, so this one here is pretty challenging. Our lives must be governed by the authority of God's Word. See, a believer versus a disciple. A disciple is someone whose life is governed by the Word of God. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you want to go there with me, we're going to read the first, uh, well, not the first, but verses 2 through 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. This is what, this is what the Apostle Paul admonishes his son Timothy to do. He says, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come, listen to this very carefully, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Folks, we are living today in a season where I believe there is a real challenge to God's Word. In other words, there's people challenging the Word of God. They're saying as they read through this book, they're saying, ah, I, I, I challenge that. I challenge that Word right there. You see, what happens is whenever our culture changes. And how many of you have experienced a culture shift in your lifetime? 
Raise your hands. See, these young people are probably the only one that are exempt from that. Because, you know, they're like six, seven years old or older. And they've never seen their culture change. All of the, you know, these, these kids were all born after 9-11. These kids were all born whenever we had smartphones. Well, maybe not Alexandria. She's old. She's like 15. I can remember whenever there wasn't any smartphones. I can remember whenever there wasn't any cell phones. I can remember whenever we actually used to take trips and not have to have a phone. I can remember taking a trip and calling my parents long distance, collect person to person so that they would know I got there okay. I'd call the operator and say, yeah, I want to make a person-to-person call, long distance, collect, and I need to speak to J.D. Watson. Did anybody do that and rip the companies off besides myself? Okay, that was long before I was saved. Folks, we've gone through so many culture changes. I've seen culture after culture after culture. I grew up in the, in the 60s and 70s where we had the hippie generation. I mean, I've seen, a, I've seen culture change. But this is what happens whenever culture change. We, as people, we look for a way to change the Word of God so that it fits our culture. And everybody should have said amen right there. We look for a way to change the Word of God so that it begins to fit our culture. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God is the truth of God. The truth, folks, is the only thing that sets us free. That's it. And so this is the question that I believe every believer has to ask themselves. Because remember, we're talking about the difference between a believer and a disciple. So this is what believers have to do. They have to ask this question. Do I believe that the Bible, that the Word of God is the final authority for my life? You see, if you want to move from a believer to a disciple, you have to believe that the Bible is that absolute final authority for your life. You have to just say, listen, yes, it is. And then you get into all this debate about, well, you know, they wrote the Bible and, you know, it was just men that put it together. And, you know, then, you know, they left out some important parts. You know, this is not the whole thing. And you get into all of these debates that I would tell you 100 percent, 100 percent with authority that it is it is all stirred up by Satan himself. There's people that says, man, if it's not an authentic King James 1611, I'm not reading that thing. Are you all there with me? Let me just tell you something. God is big enough to deal with things like that. Come on. If you think for one moment that a man could set himself up and say, listen, I'm going to shortchange this book and I'm going to leave this and that and this and that out. And I'm just going to make a mess of things because I'm just going to kind of monkey with the word of God. You are out of your minds. God is the God of this universe. He sits on the throne and he is big enough to get into my hands what needs to be written. I mean, read by me. Amen. Come on. We just got to say, this is the authoritative Word of God. This thing right here, this book, all 66 books of the Bible that have been compilated over the years and put together, I believe it is God's Word to me, and it is the final authority for my life. See, if you don't believe that, 
Satan will set a trap for you. If you go, well, you know, I seen this thing on Discovery Channel one time, and they actually proved where the Bible, you know, had some errors in it. Hey, they proved it scientifically. See, what will happen is if you don't make up your mind that, listen, this dude is right, and it's always right, it's always going to be right. I can stake my whole life on this dude being right. Y'all there? What happens whenever you watch that Discovery Channel documentary? That's whenever Satan begins to set a trap, just like he did for Adam and Eve. You see, Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he goes, oh, did God really say that you couldn't eat of that tree? I thought he said you could eat of all. And all of a sudden, there's this question in their lives. Is the word really true? As a disciple, you've got to say, yes, it is. Every sentence, every word is true. And it is the authority by which I will run my life. Folks, no matter what happens in our culture, the word doesn't change. Just because our culture says, well, wait a minute now. I think we should be more inclusive than we are today. And, you know, this book really, it was written so many years ago. It's kind of outdated now. There's things in our culture that have kind of left this book behind. And so we can, like, think like our culture thinks. And so, thus, the word has become something that is outdated and we don't have to abide by it anymore. The culture might change, but his word does not change. And this is what we are seeing happen today right in front of our eyes. We've changed his word over time due to our culture. That's why we have a mainline denomination in the uh, United States of America right now that are ordaining and commissioning clergy that are homosexuals. And it's fixing to cause a huge split in this denomination. Because what people have done is they said, listen... Homosexual people are good people. They're loving people and all of that. And so we are going to include them because, you know, this book really doesn't, it's, it doesn't fit our culture. It doesn't, it doesn't fit our lifestyle. Culture may change, but the word will not. God's word has not changed Due to popular opinion. Because I will tell you. That if it was left up to popular opinion. Nothing in this word would be relevant to us today. It doesn't change because. Of how we feel. (laughs) Anybody ever felt like. Not doing what the Bible told us to do. How about anybody felt that way today. Okay. So this is a major difference between a believer and a disciple. A believer, somebody that begins to feel like, um, oh, I don't know, I, 
They just start feeling some way. I know that's very vague, but I just really don't want to name something that they're feeling. They just start feeling a certain way. Well, I, I feel this way. Or maybe they just have an opinion. This is a believer. They have an opinion. They start feeling some way. And I tell you, after a period of time, they will begin to exalt that opinion. They will begin to uh, exalt that, that feeling that they're having above God's Word. I, I just, you know, I mean, that's, uh, I, I just don't feel like, you know, you always have to tell the truth. I mean, for heaven's sakes, a little white lie every now and then is okay. Yes? Situational ethics that took place back in the 60s. We're fed this, uh, this idea that, you know, according to the situation, something could be right that normally would be wrong. Are you all there? You're not. Okay, well, you see, no matter how we feel, no matter what our opinion might be, we cannot exalt it above the Word of God. The Word of God is the final authority. How many of you all know that a white lie is still a lie? Amen? Okay. A disciple, that's a believer. A disciple is somebody who says, my life, my thoughts, my opinions... They have to change. They have to adjust to fit God's Word. See, what we're doing today is our culture is saying, no, the Word of God's got to change. This book is old, man, for heaven's sake. It's really old. And, it, and a lot of the stuff they say here just doesn't apply to us here in the United States because we're more relevant now than we used to be, and so it's got to change. But a disciple goes, no, wait a minute. I don't care how far down the road we are from this book. This book right here, I change. My thoughts, my opinions, all of them change so as to adjust to what the Word says. I have to make the changes, not the Word of God. Instead of His Word agreeing with my life, or His Word agreeing with my world, instead of His Word agreeing with my culture, my thoughts, or my opinions, we have to agree with it. Amen. Third thing is this. And this one here, I think progressively is getting a little bit harder. Our lives have to be morally pure. We have to look at ourselves as disciples and believers. As a believer, you look at yourself and you go, okay, how do I change the way that I live? How do I change the way that I think whenever it comes to sin in my life? Just a quick question without a raise of hands, but how many of you have sinned in, let's say, the last month? Because I know there's some really good people in here, and you probably, you know, probably haven't sinned recently like I have. Sin is that thing we deal with every day. Every day of our life, we're challenged by the things that our flesh wants to do, our carnal nature wants to do, and we're challenged to live morally. That's the challenge. And disciples say, I'm going to press towards that mark. I'm going to press towards that goal of my life being morally pure on this planet. Because I will tell you, it's difficult. And so we got to change the way we think about sin. You see, sin has this potential that so many of us miss 
But it has this potential to, to, to create kind of a form of slavery in our lives. How many of you all know that whenever you sin and you continue to sin, you literally become a slave to that sin. And whenever you are a slave to that sin, it will control you. It will dominate you. It will dominate your thoughts. It will control your thoughts. <coughs> it will dominate your actions. It will control your actions. Jesus came that we might be free from the domination of sin. I want to tell you something. Sin is a horrible taskmaster. It's meaner than a snake. I mean meaner than a snake. Jesus came to set us free from that meanie, that horrible, mean thing called sin. He frees us from it. And so a disciple is someone who goes out and says, man, listen, I want to be free from sin. Jesus came to free us, and that control that sin has over our lives... I I want it gone. So here's the challenge because this, as I said, it's progressively kind of getting harder today. Jesus came to free us and this is the the challenge. You see, once we surrender our lives to Jesus and we say yes to Him and and we're born again, how in the world do we change our behavior? Man, whenever I first got to save, save, I I confessed this last week that, man, I thought I was going to be perfect. And I thought I was going to church with a bunch of perfect people. Man, I looked at people that had been in Jesus for years, and I thought, man, they're perfecter than perfect. But I just knew I was perfect. And then all of a sudden, I found out just a few days after I got born again that I still had a bunch of stuff I needed to, I needed to do in my life. Amen? I, st- I found out I could still cuss. I, could st- I found out I could still have bad thoughts and do bad things and have wrong actions. Are you all there with me? So how in the world... Do you change your behavior? Because this is the difference between a believer and a disciple. You see, believers, they come to a place in their lives a lot of times where they just begin to accept sin as normal. Hey, I'm human. I'm going to sin. No big deal. God has got lots of grace, buckets of grace. And so listen, if I sin, it's no big deal. It's just kind of a normal way of life. Folks, don't look at me silly this morning because Christians all over, they think that very thing. They think, you know, hey, I'm I'm a sinner. It's okay. It's okay. The difference between a believer and a disciple is this. A believer says, I just can't stop sinning. Sin is normal. Disciples decides that they are going to break free from sin. They are going to do whatever is necessary to get free. That's a disciple. The disciple gets up and says, listen, man, sin is not normal in my life. I'm going to quit sinning and I'm going to do it with the help of Jesus Christ because he has come to free me from sin. Let me just make sure you all know this little footnote to my message this morning. You can't do this by yourself. You do not have the power to do it by yourself. But Jesus Christ in you, I will tell you, you can overcome the power, the destructive power of sin in your life. That's a dis- the difference, though. You can't just sit back and go, ha, I'm just going to sin. I, it's all right because God expects me to sin. So you've got to make up your mind. Nope, nope, it's not going to be that way. I'm going to break free from this sin. I'm going to do whatever necessary to get free from it. Let me just read you this scripture. This is out of Romans chapter 6. It says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall, know, we shall also live with him. So getting free from sin, according to Romans chapter 6, is this. We have to die to ourselves. Because ourselves really want to sin. Amen? Yeah. I had somebody one time um, was talking about being offended. You know, they were so offended by something somebody did or somebody said in the church. And so they were just on the verge of quitting that church and going and finding some, some, some other place. And, and this, was the, uh, this was the admonition from his pastor. His pastor told him whenever he came in and he had told his pastor this horrible story about how this horrible individual had hurt them and how it had crushed them and how they were on their way out to church, so on and so forth. The pastor basically said this, dead people never get offended. Yeah, it's true. Dead people never get offended. I promise you this, you can go down to the funeral home today, walk around and speak curses all over those dead people that are down there. You can say ugly things about them. You can say, hey, your eyes are too close together and you look weird. No offense. No offense taken because they're dead. And I will tell you this, whenever we begin to die to ourselves, we won't get offended either. Whenever we begin to die to ourselves, our flesh has way less rule over our lives. And sin will become something of the past. But dying to ourself, let me just make sure we all understand this, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's difficult. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the better part of the New Testament, let me read you what he wrote about himself. This is in Romans chapter 7. He says, I want to do what's good. Well, man, that makes perfect sense. I imagine that everybody in this room has that same, that same thought process in you right now. I want to do what's good. But now this is what Paul says. But I don't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. Paul's saying, hey, I've got these ideas. I want to do right. I want to do what's right, but I don't. And then he goes on. He says, I don't want to do what's wrong. Well, that makes perfect sense. I want to do what's right, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong. But he says, I do it anyway. So what the Apostle Paul is telling us here is that getting free from sin, dying to ourselves, is a little bit more difficult than what we think. But now in Galatians chapter 5, if you'll turn there with me, this is the last scripture this morning. No, it's not. i got one more. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 16. This is the key. This is the key about this whole dying process. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, I say then, this is the Apostle Paul, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Are y'all getting this? Walk in the Spirit. The first point that I made this morning, being submitted to the Holy Spirit. Walk in the flesh, uh, walk, uh, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, 
you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, uh, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Just in case he didn't name all of them, he just put and the like. So they're all in there. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things, and again, it's practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it doesn't mean that you slip up and do one of these things, but it means that you practice it. It means that it's something that you do every day. It's something that's on your mind. Those who practice it will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, long-suffering, our goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is the key. That's the key. That's the key to dying to ourself. That's the key because whenever our, our flesh wants to do something, our spirit is standing right there saying, no, no, you don't need to do that. And we have to walk according to the spirit. We need to listen to him. That's why this morning the first, uh, the first one is to be submitted to the Holy Spirit because he's constantly giving us directive. He wants to keep us out of that sewage pile that we call sin. And the only way that we can do it is to walk according to the Spirit. Next one. We need to be evangelistically, evangelistically bold. Evangelistically bold. When was the last time that you led somebody to Jesus? I mean, just stop for a moment and think. When was the last time that you led someone to Jesus? There was a study that was just uh, recently published. And this is basically what they came up with. There were some percentages in here. But all in all, this is what it said. The average Christian in America never leads not even one person to Christ in their lifetime. So often we think of evangelism as very intimidating. I mean, man, it's scary to share your faith with somebody. I mean, just to walk up to them and say, man, do you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Well, let me tell you about it. It's, it's very intimidating. And so oftentimes we, we just feel like it's more comfortable just to go to church and, and keep our, if you would, our faith more private. Does that So, you know, I mean, because it's intimidating to have to share our faith. And so what we have is we have pews that are full in churches all over America where people are taking this position. I'm just going to kind of keep it quiet. I'm going to go to church, man. I'm, I'm going to do all the things in church I need to do, but I'm just going to kind of, you know, kind of cool my jets because I'm telling you this evangelism thing is very intimidating. Let me just make sure we all know this. Once we believe we should never keep our faith private. Everybody you rub shoulders with ought to know that you are a Christian. It's just like a few weeks ago, I preached on you are the light of the world. And one of the things I told you was that God is trying to make us all conspicuous, not inconspicuous. He wants the world to see you as a believer in him. Amen. And so we should never keep our faith private. Private. Jesus makes it very clear 
that we are to go into the world and share the good news that he has brought us. So let's just look at Matthew chapter 9 for a moment. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus gives us kind of a, a little story here that I believe is so important to the way we should feel about evangelism. Because we need to be bold in our evangelism. So this is Matthew chapter 9 and begin reading in verse number 9. It says, And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So now, Get this picture, if you would. So he's calling Matthew the tax collector. And i got to tell you, back in the day, Matthew the tax collector, any tax collector, was the lowest of the low on the totem pole. For one thing, they were collecting taxes for the Roman government, and many times they were skimming off the top for their own selves. They were Jewish, and they were still going against their Jewish people by collecting these taxes. And so, man, I'm telling you, they were the scum of the earth. They were the, they were the awfulest people on the planet. And Jesus calls Matthew. He ends up in Matthew's home, and they're fixing to eat. And now here's Matthew with a whole bunch of his buddy tax collectors and a whole bunch of sinners. Because you've got to know, these tax collectors weren't running with the Pope. Amen? They were running with a whole bunch of people that were like them. They had drug users, drug sellers. They had people that were manipulating finances. They had crooked Harry and crooked Larry. Amen? They were all there. No offense, Larry. Says that all these tax collectors and sinners, they came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples to eat. Now, the Pharisees, I don't know exactly how they were doing this. They must have had a telescope up on top of one of these buildings or something. But they looked in and they saw Jesus and his disciples sitting with the Pharisees, excuse me, sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners. And this is what they said. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard that. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You've got to ask yourself this question because evangelism, as I said, it's intimidating. It's intimidating just to, to begin to share with your, uh, with your friends this story about how God is so merciful and how God is so kind and how God is so loving and he wants to see them become his child. It's very intimidating. But guess what? Jesus spent the majority of his time here on this earth. Where? It wasn't in church. It was with people. It was with the world. It was with sinners. Jesus ran with the unsaved. You see, if we're going to move from a believer to a disciple, we have to learn how to interact with sinners. We've got to learn how to interact with sinners. Pastor Ron McManus, uh, 
guy who's been helping us with the vision here, and we've been learning from him. One of the things that actually, whenever I worked for him in Winston-Salem, I didn't know he did this, but every Thursday, he would go to lunch with somebody in his community that was unsaved. That was his policy, is to go to lunch with somebody that was unsaved. Every Thursday at lunch, he would do that. And he told me, he said, I did it for years and years and years as a, as a pastor. And he said, the thing is, he said, I've seen so many people come to Jesus through those lunch appointments. We're going to move forward. We're going to be a, belie- a disciple and not a believer. We have to interact with sinners. We've got to learn to love people in spite of their lifestyles. We've got to love people in spite of their lifestyles. Because I will tell you this you're probably going to run into somebody that you don't agree with their lifestyle. In fact, you may even find their lifestyle very repulsive. But you're going to have to learn to love them in spite of their lifestyle. You're going to have to learn to live a life that others are interested in. See, we ought to have people asking us questions. Hey, every time I see you, you're like, Always up. What's the deal? Are you on drugs? Yeah, I am. It's called Jesus. It's the best drug I ever got. I mean, seriously. We ought to have we ought to have people asking us questions about our lives. And so we have to learn to live a life that others are interested in. Folks, until you've had somebody that's a total stranger come up and ask you, hey. You're kind of weird. What's going on in your life? I'm serious. You're kind of weird. I I don't understand. I mean, something's weird about you. What's different about you? You have to live a life that is interesting to others. Next, you have to learn to find ways to serve people and open up their hearts to the gospel. You got to learn to serve people. See, again, they're going to say, this is weird, man. Why do you keep coming over to my house and mowing my lawn for me? I know that, you know, I'm in a place where I can't mow it, but I could hire somebody to do it. But, you know, you're my next door neighbor and you've just taken it upon yourself to mow my lawn for me every time it needs to mow. What's, what's wrong with you? What's different about you? You know, why, why are you always baking me cookies and bringing them over here? I'm fat enough. Come on. Are you all there? You've got to learn to, to find ways to serve people where they look at you and you go, man, this is abnormal. This is not the way our world works. You should not be doing this. Something is different about you. You see, what happens is all of a sudden that real intimidating sharing the gospel with people. Are you all there? That, that intimidation just goes away because they're coming to you and you go, man, what gives with your life? Something's different about you. Something's odd about you. Something's not right. You go, hey, it's Jesus. I've had so many people tell me, hey, you must be really religious. That's what they tell me. And I go, no, man, I'm not religious. I hate religion. And boy, they all, and they go, you hate religion? I said, yeah, I hate religion. Literally, it's killed more people than you can ever even think about. But I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm in love with Jesus. That's what's wrong with me. We've got to find ways to serve people, and that will open up their hearts. You see, the difference between a believer and a disciple is the way that they live their life, the way that they interact with people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, we need to have some friends out there that are sinners. Come on. We need to have some friends that are sinners. 
one of the most vile, repulsive men that I've ever known in my life. I mean, literally, he was, he was horrible. He was, he was the most vulgar individual I have ever known in my life. Whenever I worked at the mines, he literally had a library of pornographic material that he loaned out to people in the mines. He'd loan them out. I mean, they'd come to him. Hey, I need a couple of new magazines. They'd give it to him. He, 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 every time you got around him, he would talk so vulgar about women and so on and so forth. It, it was awful. I mean, but you know what? I learned to like him. I learned to pick locks, and I would break into his library, and I would grease his magazines all up. Just take electric grease gun and just pump the magazines full of grease. He had to throw them away because they weren't any good. I can remember one time he said, man, I don't know. I must have left my locker open or something, and somebody greased all of my ladies. He said, you know who did that? I said, somebody greased them, huh? You know what? He started liking me. I started liking him. He retired and left and elderly guy had a lot of health problems. And I don't know, maybe two years down the line or something, I was working as full time in, in the church and I'd left the mines already. And I got a phone call one morning and he said, J.D., he said, I know you pray because I used to witness to him all the time. I used to go up and I'd say, I said, man, do you smell that? I said, there's a terrible smell. I said, what is that smell? It smells like smoke. And for an underground mine, smelling smoke, that's not a good thing. And he goes, no, I don't smell that. I said, oh, never mind. It's you whenever you go to hell and burn. Listen, we were friends. I could talk to him like that. Are you all there with me? He talked to me real bad, too. I won't tell you all the bad things he said about me. Some of them were true, but, you know, he used, to, he used to call me the psycho believer. That's what he used to call me, psycho believer. You're psycho because you believe in Jesus. You're psycho because you go to work. I mean, go to church. So he calls me a few weeks, uh, he calls me a couple of years after uh, uh, I left the mines, and he basically says this. He says, I know you pray. He said, I'm in a really bad position up here in the hospital. And I went to the hospital. They had already amputated one of his legs because of diabetes, and it was just a horrible place. And I led him to the Lord. And about two weeks later, I preached his funeral. But I will tell you this. He came to know Jesus as a Savior. Gave him a set of cassette tapes that he would listen to the Bible on. And he was still the same old guy. He was still cranky, but he knew knew the Lord. He loved the Lord. People would come into his hospital room, and he's trying to listen to the Bible. He's saying, would you be quiet? I'm trying to listen to the Bible. We have to be able to be people who interact with unsaved. Jared, if you'll come this morning and help me close this. A disciple is somebody who is always thinking of how I can help this person see Jesus and know what he's done for them. Our mission statement for this church, which you will become acutely aware of in the next few months, is this. Love God, love people, reach the lost, and make disciples. We have to be a church that makes disciples. Otherwise, we will be a church that ceases to exist.